Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sebo, I'm John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. Hey, look, I know that I'm not doing one of these shows every week. Um, I'm still doing my uh, resistance radio show every week and putting that up as a podcast, but uh, um, got a lot of stuff going on, but there are really some issues that, uh, that need to be addressed. And, and I, I promise you, I will do, do them more frequently than I have been. Um, one of the things that I've talked a lot about on this show has always been not just our relationship here as native people on the continent, uh, with the Hawaiian people, the Ganaka Maoli uh, and the Hawaiian kingdom, but our circumstances being so, you know, so similar and, and going through much of the same um, adversity at the hands of the United States and, and oppressive powers from Europe and others. But, but um, I haven't done a show in a while. So in the midst of, uh, of all of these Supreme Court rulings, um, some of the battles that we're having here back in Seneca territory and just kind of addressing where we are and, and what we're, what we face. It's actually a great time to talk about, uh, about the ongoing battle in, in Hawaii for, um, for restoration of the Hawaiian kingdom, the, their, the Hawaiian monarchy, uh, the, their nationhood, all of that. And that is a battle that has, has continued to, to rage on for, for many, many years, uh, you know, really since since the the coup led by the United States in the first place. Um, so we're going to we're going to, you know, kind of go back and, and cover a little bit of history. But we also want to bring it up to date and we want to talk about where where things are at. I've had some great guests on my show, um, but my next guest is somebody who not only has been a guest on my show before, but I've been a guest on her show. And uh, so I, I want to I'm pleased to introduce one of my longest friends that I've never met face to face, Kailani Mahuka, and you know, Kailani, I just want to uh, again thank you for reaching out for for weighing in on my Facebook post, which is kind of what got us talking again. Uh, you know, it's not like we've ever fallen out or anything else, but I, I want to thank you so much for for you know for connecting back up with me. Thank you for having me. Aloha and aloha to all our listeners today. Aloha from the still sovereign Hawaiian kingdom of the Hawaiian islands. You know, I, I've talked so much about, you know, not just the, the fight for, for restoration of your, your recognized nationhood, but, but obviously environmental battles, some of the things that you've dealt with economically there in Hawaii. Um, obviously I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the, the fight that continues to go on with uh, the, the planned development uh, on Mauna Kea. Um, but let's, part of the reason that we, we got involved in this chat is, um, you had a, uh, an, an, an unlikely visitor recently. And look, I remember the last time the interior department had one of their secretaries coming out 
to uh, to deal with Hawaiian issues. And that was back with the Obama administration. And, and it was then that there was this big push that got a whole lot of, you know, frankly, people salivating um, out there in, in, in your country um, about this notion of Fed rec. The Obama administration was proposing a rule change that would have um, streamlined or fast-tracked turning Native Hawaiians, the Ganakamali Native Hawaiians, into an Indian tribe, or actually, more likely, maybe a dozen Indian tribes, because they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna slice and dice and Julian fry you guys to the point where you're gonna have all of these competing interests, you know, kind of at each other's throats. There, it, it, it was something that, you know, that some people were really grabbing onto, and 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 I know. You know, I don't, we, we can get into a whole laundry list of the names of people who were really devoted towards selling out for this, what I call Fed Rec. I mean, honestly, when I started calling federal recognition Fed Rec as an F E D W R C K, um, it was really geared towards what they were pro- proposing there in Hawaii. Um, but, you know, a lot of that noise, the noise died down, especially after the debacle that all those public hearings uh, ended up being, where Thousands of uh, Hawaiian people came out, oftentimes driving hours to get to these hearings and voicing their 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 adamant opposition to uh, to this idea of being turned into a, a Indian tribes. Um, and then the conversation kind of died out. In fact, if I recall on the White House, um, uh, you know, press releases. They, made, they never even mentioned the public hearings. They said, oh, but the feedback that we've gotten via email, which were all like these canned you know, e- emails, was very positive towards, federal, uh, towards gaining federal recognition. And, and of course, that was crap. I mean, they, they did literally this, this um, blast out trying to get people to send these form letter emails to the White House that, that took no thought, took no effort, no commitment by anybody to, to really understand what fed rec even was and then they said oh yeah we had great response but um but that kind of grew silent uh, so talk to me a little bit about about that about how that whole fed rec thing kind of faded from the public eye even if it didn't really fade in terms of uh what between trump and now biden where that's where that's leaving you okay well thank you again for having me on your show and i've kind of been a hermit um I kind of started hermiting out with COVID and got busy here on my farm and living off the grid and caring for family members. And I've been really thinking in my head, I want to get back on the air. I want to start talking again. Things need to be talked about. And when I do shows with other people regarding our sovereignty here in Hawaii, I always like to set a baseline of truth, and that is, guess what? There's no actual treaty of annexation between the Hawaiian Kingdom and the United States of America. Hawaii was made a territory and then annexed via joint resolution. Statehood was voted in in 1959 by 3,000 Marines and uh, military people. Hawaiians didn't even vote in that. So the baseline that I always wanted, the the hard truth is we are illegally occupied. And if you fast forward to 1993, President Bill Clinton issued Public Law 103-150. 
And it was an apology um, for overthrowing our kingdom and illegally occupying us. And frankly, we were left scratching our heads because we're like, this has to be the first time in history that the criminal would admit to the crime and then paper it and make it a law, this admittance of guilt. Well, they did that for a purpose and enter the Akaka bill, which was the beginnings of federal recognition. So they started talking about federally recognizing us way back when. Can, and, can, I, can I just stop you just for a second? Because I, I want to go back and nail down a few things um, okay. th uh, on top of what you've already said. You know, okay. first off, there, there not only was not an annexation treaty, but the United States didn't even follow their own law for annexation. Because in order Correct. for the United States to annex the, a, a sovereign territory of, a, of another nation, there has to be a treaty. There has to be a willingness of that nation to want to be annexed, which there was no treaty. But it also has to be a treaty that is signed by the president and approved by two thirds of the Senate. That didn't happen. In fact, what the what the United States did was they they said, no, we, we don't have a treaty and we know we don't have two thirds of the Senate. So we're going to do a joint resolution of Congress. Now, a joint resolution of Congress is not a law. And, and nope. I'll get into that a little bit more, too. It is it's the kind of thing that you do where you like name a bridge or a, you know, a, a state park or a federal park or something like that. It's these, you know, it's these ceremonial things that don't have the weight of, of the force of law. So they do, and, and that's a simple majority, and it barely passed. So through by using a um, a joint resolution of Congress, which is not the lawful way to annex uh, another nation, um, that's what the United States did. So it's illegal with because it doesn't have a treaty, and it's illegal because they didn't follow you know even U.S. law to do it. So I wanted to mention that too, and because it's re it's relevant that they used a joint resolution of Congress because now you mentioned Bill Clinton's joint resolution, his his apology resolution, and. That doesn't have the force of law either, even though it's an act of Congress, both, you know, the, the Senate and, and the House. What happens, if I recall, there was somebody tried to use that joint resolution, of Congress, that apology resolution in a legal action. And the court said joint resolutions of Congress have no force of law. So even before you get to the Okaka bill and some of this, this or, the origins of this Fed wreck, I think it's important that people realize that, yeah, they can they can use Congress to do an apology. The courts, including the Supreme Court, have made it very clear a joint resolution of Congress cannot be admitted, even though it's an admission, it cannot be admitted as a uh, as as force of law in any kind of land claims or land use or, or any any other type of uh, dispute associated with with the illegal activity of the United States. I mean, it's, it's bizarre, but that's that's the truth. So I just wanted to lay that on top of what you said. And that's why. In 2018, when Dr. Alfred Desaias at the UN issued his memo to the Human Rights Council, um, acknowledging, he said, we're under a strange form of occupation. This was February 25th, 2018. And two days later, um, Donald Trump pulled the United States out of the Human Rights Council. But let's get back to 1993, that yeah, apology. That. Sorry for interrupting you. No, no, but it's all very fascinating and convoluted, you know, and it's the age of information. So the more information that gets out there, we here in Hawaii are very grateful. Um, 
So the Akaka bill was like the origins of this federal recognition. And uh, fast forward to 2014. And before that, I had started seeing some things that caused me concern. Um, Robin Danner, as you know, who is the number one proponent for federal recognition and the tool of the United States government and the Office of Hawaiian Affairs, to make sure we become a Native American tribe. Um, or, ma or many Native American tribes. Or many, yeah. <laughs> Splinter us all off because it's just bizarre. We don't have that here. We're a sovereign country. We're one people, one nation, right? So, um, But she started doing things that really caused me concern. She formed the Shah. Uh, S-C-C-H-A, the Sovereign Council, S-C-H-H-A, the Sovereign Council of Hawaiian Homesteaders, which the Hawaiian Homesteaders Association, which, as you may know, that um, federal government passed a, a, a law, the Hawaiian Homes Act, back in 1920, uh, imposing a blood quantum on the Hawaiian people and any of the lands that were left for us by the sovereigns so that we would have a place to live. Now you were only a Hawaiian if you had 50% of the cocoa of the blood. So when I saw her forming the Sovereign Council, it immediately, my brain went to the Bureau of Indian Affairs because I realized that this is what Native American government calls themselves. They call themselves Sovereign Councils. Prior to this, she had already helped the Native Americans in Alaska get federally recognized, right? So then she came home and she started doing these things. She formed the um, Center for Native Hawaiian Advancement. So as a Hawaiian with 50%, you could access the millions and millions and millions of dollars left in trust for the Hawaiian people and get a business going or whatever, but you had to be 50%. And you had to give them your signature for federal recognition. That was followed by many campaigns, most lately, Na'iau Puni, we called them the NAG 88, the people that decided to rewrite the Hawaiian Constitution, hold all these meetings, and they were getting our signatures off of any kind of lists of anything Hawaiian that we had attended. They were going into the preschools giving out t-shirts and bumper stickers and having moms and sign their children up. Dead people were being put on this list so that it would look like, yes, we want to be federally recognized. I actually found my name on their list. And you had to go through a whole process to get your name off the list. And then we had the 2014 Department of Interior meetings. And I stalked Robin Danner in a uh, professionally, journalistically professional manner. I followed her from island to island. And I also gave my testimony because the way I see it, what the federal government is offering the Hawaiian people is called racketeering. Um, it's like when a gangster goes to your store and says, hey, give me a thousand bucks a week to protect you from me. The threat that we were getting was if you're not on this list and you don't get federally recognized, you're out, you're nobody. So in essence, the federal government is committing racketeering. What do we pay? We pay our signatures and we give up our inherent sovereignty. 
to protect ourselves from the federal government. So that was my testimony throughout all of those, the Hawaiian people. And I might add, we were, um, they housed all the meetings in elementary schools, in the cafeterias. So we have a lot of, our people are big, you know, we have, and we were all like scrunched up in these cafeteria schools, thousands of us people waiting outside, all of us screaming no at the top of our lungs. So then everything started dying down. Robin went back to Washington, D.C. with a select few people that she got on her side. I'll mention Poa Noi. Um, she was the woman that I often went up against with the burial desecrations. Um, she took her, she took a whole bunch of select Hawaiians that were positioned in government. Um, and they called it, uh, Hawaiians on the Hill. Uh, this was in 2016 and, um, coincidentally we went and we took our queen's red ribbon letter, um, her letter of protest and refiled it 119 years to the day of her filing at the Department of State. So our hashtag was Kanakas on the Hill. We were in Washington, D.C. at the same time as Robin Danner. And then here comes Senator Brian Schatz and declares it Hawaiian Food Week and gets spam for their, yeah, spam is not Hawaiian, everyone. We like it. It's horrible, but it ain't Hawaiian. So this was all going on, and they kind of went underground. Very difficult to get information about what was going on. People were really clamming up. Um, they infiltrated a lot of different Hawaiian leaders, most especially in academia, where now our history is being written, rewritten by academia. And here we go now. Um, you know, we've heard a little bit of rumblings from Esther Kia Aina and all of these people that travel in the Fed Rex circles, but very difficult to really get what they were what they were up to. Yeah, so I, I want to just stop for just a second because I want to talk a little bit about Robin Natter because I had some great exchanges, not just with Ra Robin, but with his with her sister. Um, that's I, I had a whole series of things. I called it Jaded Views because her name was Jade Danner. Um, right. and, and I learned a lot about Jade and her sister and this is before Robin decided to, didn't she evict her sister from, from yeah. the house that she owned and uh, all a part of some of this homestead stuff that you could talk about how she managed yeah. to get herself a house. But the thing about the Danners is that they, they also, I don't know which side, if, if it's on the father's side, they're, they're Apache or something like that, or, or Navajo on one side, because these guys have made a bunch of money off of Alaska natives, uh, off of um, uh, off of other federally recognized. They've learned the, to, to make money off of the Fed rec system. That's why they are so all in with this with with the Fed rec of, of, of Hawaiian natives because they know the system and they've known how to make how to make bank out of it. And so, and and you know, Jade was very upfront with me about about how well they have done, you know, in both Alaska and, uh, and in California and, and other places, utilizing the Fed rec system as, as it already existed for, for Native people on the continent. Yes, they became multimillionaires. And um, to my knowledge, Robin Danner does not 
contain any Native American blood. To my knowledge, her father was pure Haole and a school teacher in Alaska, and her mother was Hawaiian Filipino, is what I had been told. It's still all quite mysterious. We don't know for sure what they are, but we know who they are and how they operate for sure. Um, one of what one of the things Robin Danner did when she came home to Kauai, besides pushing through the the solar field that's parked right next to people's homes in the so they put that huge solar field, the largest one in the United States, blah, 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 all this hoopla, um, right in the middle. They put it on Hawaiian homes land. And that yes. makes and, and to be clear here, native people in general um, mm -hmm. are very pro uh, renewable resources. I mean, in, including solar and wind and that kind of stuff. But the problem is when industry gets involved, it ends up being these huge solar farms or wind farms that essentially take away from land use. And so every time that we find ourselves at odds with a developer doing, whether it's a solar farm or a wind farm, it's not because we're against wind or solar energy. It's because right. we're against losing the land because I, I've got to imagine that that land is now completely occupied by these solar panels and is unusable for anything else. Yes. And so it, it, it created a huge divide in our community. Of course, a lot of the local brothers were like, hey, it's work, you know, and it's going to improve. But the Hawaiian people don't get a break on their electricity from that solar field. And um, again, it's on our land that people are supposed to be living on. And she still gets money. She wrote the grants. She gets 1% of all the income every year from that solar system. Another claim of fame that she did, uh, we had a camp for our children called Kumu Camp down by the beach in Anahola. And she, um, the immersion schools, you know, that teach in Hawaiian helped her fundraise a few hundred thousand dollars in the interest of getting this camp fixed up so the kids could come back to camp, right? Well, as soon as she got it fixed up, she turned it into a B&B, &B, a yoga retreat. She had white linen tablecloths, a dishwasher, yurts everywhere. And our Hawaiian children have not been there at all. So she turned so, it into just another another tourist, uh, tourist track where she benefits. Was, well, it's a nonprofit. We've got to make a profit. But... This is what this woman does. And so she infiltrates, you know, she wreaks havoc on your island and she puts her, you know, she just somehow she's got the gift of gab. She's able to turn, well, the 50 percenters have an interest, right? Because they want to hang on to what they got. So again, that apartheid blood quantum has created a huge divide in our families. So um, but so then, you know, when the DOI meetings happened and all of that, they kind of went underground. She came over. She started doing stuff. She got tried to get me fired off my radio show because I challenged her to a duel via jello wrestling. And I said, we would sell tickets, winner take all. You win, you get the kingdom. I win, I get the kingdom, right? And she said she felt threatened and all this stuff. So... Um, quite a few times she was managed to get me suspended from work because I was out there talking about her and what she was doing. So 
now here we come and COVID has hit us. And unfortunately, our people got all wrapped up in the anti-vax trip and all of that stuff versus making land grabs is what we should have been doing during this thing. And it kind of made me depressed because I would go out and see all our people on the side of the road with our flags and talking about the vaccines. And I'm like, why are we talking about their shit? Why aren't we talking about our shit right now? Hawaii is no stranger to having um, lockdowns. Mine was at age 16 on the tiny island of Kauai. Um, we had a tailor camp there. Liz Taylor's brother had a nudist colony. They brought in hepatitis C. We didn't have to go to school. You know, we're We've been succumbing to people's diseases since the point of contact. So intentional and otherwise. Yeah, right. Right. So here we come. And I'm just kind of up here. I'm focusing on, you know, clearing invasive species of the plant kind and doing my thing up here. You had and to specify I, of the plant kind, I, I hear. <laughs> right. Free the, free the native one tree, one plant at a time. I'm very into uh, conservation, forest conservation. Our forests are overrun with invasive species and two-legged ones too, I might add. Yeah. So um, I go on Instagram and I see a picture of Deb Halland with a huge Miley Lay having a party in our palace, Iolani Palace. The last time there was a party there was after the overthrow of our kingdom they've had events there but not like a full-blown event so i start looking around going why is the head of the department of interior here in hawaii why was nothing reported in hawaiian media why can't we find out who catered it what the guest list was what was the topic of this party in our palace that we don't get to go in unless we throw down some bucks and you know pay an entrance fee. And so it started really steaming me. Well, it and I looked I looked into it. I mean, I looked at, uh, at what was posted on there uh, on the interior department and and they made well, it sound like it was basically her doing another, you know, Joe Biden press tour about how wonderful the Biden administration is doing for the Hawaiian people. Um, doing more to uh, to protect the environment and certain bird species. Um, mm -hmm. She talked about their commitment to immersion schools and language and uh, uh, bragged about how the, the palace was going to get uh, half, a, you know, half a million dollars worth of uh, funding for restoration. But there was no conversation about restoring the palace to the Hawaiian kingdom or the Hawaiian monarchy, just just them throwing throwing money at it. And of course, that money means they're going to they're going to make a deeper claim for their their control over the over the property. I, I want to mention, too, that here in Hawaii, the Democrats are the devil. All of the destruction here, all of the poisoning, all of it, the military occupation, the Democratic, um, you know, they've renamed our airport after Senator Daniel K. Noy. It just makes me sick. Well, you know, so, we do the same thing in New York, by the way. I mean, right, we, deal, right. we deal with a Democratic governor and she's an absolute mm -hmm. crook. She actually extorted half a billion dollars out of the Seneca Nation gaming uh -huh. revenue, then turned around and gave it to a billionaire to build a new football stadium for the Buffalo Bills. Now, we, we go through it 
in a big way with Democrats here. And I always have to remind people, look, the Republicans do not have a monopoly on, on racism. The Democrats are absolutely uh, a, a, a white supremacist party, just as much as the Republicans are. They may be a little bit more coy about how they uh, how they strut and how they, they carry themselves. But make no mistake about it. It is, you know, racism and colonialism is, you know, has has two wings. One's Democrat and one's Republican, but it's all the right. same bird. It sure is, especially for us Native people. Mm-hmm. Bad news no matter what. So I started thinking about the who, what, where, way, who, what, where, why, and how this came to be in our palace. 132 years, I think, after the overthrow, and our people are worse off than ever. We are literally worse off than ever. So we weren't able to get the guest list, but I was like, how was this idea born? I mean, whose idea was it that this event should be held in our palace? Whose idea was it? How did this idea become born then? We should send Deb Haaland over and throw a soiree in Iolani Palace in the middle of the illegally occupied Hawaiian kingdom. So I started thinking about this, about the why of it. Well, obvious, obviously, they're scheming and plotting and colluding on how to federally recognize us. That's always been the goal because Hawaii is the cash cow. We fund the military. All of the billions of dollars that come in here for tourism doesn't stay here you ever been in a public restroom in a state park in hawaii yeah i rather go to the bathroom in vietnam i'm not kidding rather use the woods (laughs) use the forest exactly (laughs) i started thinking about this and i you know i went on to the the um the the subcommittee's website you know And I came up with who I think was there. And let's see if we can find out. Because so far, we we can't access any information. The information you gave me is the only where it exists. Well, and and let me me just mention one thing here. Because I want to, in a way, it goes back to, um, again, the hearings, um, you know, back when Sally Jewell was was pushing FedRec. Because Mm -hmm. one of the things that had happened was... There was a a well-placed letter that was sent um, to the State Department, basically Mm -hmm. saying, don't you send the Interior Department here. In fact, that was one of the calls that all of you guys were making during these hearings. You don't send Sally Jewell. You send John Kerry. We want the State Department. We are a sovereign nation. We aren't Smokey the Bear. We aren't your your federal parks and uh, and recreation. You You send the State Department, not the Interior Department. So now, this many years later, now all of a sudden you've got Deb Haaland. And because what? Because she's got brown skin? They think they can slip her into our, in, into our brown communities and, uh, uh, and that she's just going to... Look, and, and make no mistake about it. We have far too many people that are willing to embrace her as one of us, even though she serves at the pleasure of the white man in the White House. And, and you know, our people seem to either forget or get amnesia or get starstruck or whatever. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden... Again, you've got the Interior Department coming to Hawaii. So I don't think it's a stretch by any stretch of the imagination to suggest that this is once again pushing this notion of FedRec. And 
and I think the, the, the what has to be mentioned here is we just went through this, you know, this Supreme Court um, making a bunch of rulings. And mm-hmm. many of my people just absolutely cheered how the Indian Child Welfare Act um, uh, challenge was defeated. Mm-hmm. But, but I, of course, you know, I'm going to have a different take on this, right? I mean, first off, uh, first off, the Indian Child Welfare Act sucks as a law. I mean, it did, it does not recognize our sovereignty. All the Indian Child Welfare Act did was allow the federal government to do one of these grandstanding laws where they almost made it sound like it was the states who were taking our children, ignoring the fact that for 150 years they were doing residential schools where the federal government, the, where Congress was, was funding these, these residential schools and, and hiring churches to, to operate them. And that led to those children being funneled through the state agencies for adoption and foster care because i mean that was the first way that native kids were taken from those schools and put into white homes and then of course foster care and adoption would continue at the state level so they passed this law which they brag was was not only putting a final nail in the coffin of uh, of residential schools but it was going to hold states to the to account but see it Mm -hmm. never placed our children in our control it basically said the the federal government is going to put up guardrails to, to the state CPS systems to say, you need to place a higher priority on placing native kids in native homes. But we were still, still weren't part of the problem of the process, but here, right. here's the thing with the, with the challenge. And that's why I want to bring this up because it's relevant to what we're talking about here. This didn't get beat on all of the merits of the argument. This, the racism issue never got brought up. This got, this was defeated. This challenge was defeated solely on the basis of this mythological plenary powers doctrine and what the plenary powers doctrine is is basically an invention by the by a previous supreme court that said congress was granted plenary which means ultimate authority over the affairs of native people and that it was based on the u.s constitution but it's not it's based on the doctrine of christian discovery almost solely based on the doctrine of christian discovery what they claim is that it is based on the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution. And all the Commerce Clause says is that Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations, among several states, and with Indian tribes. Not of Indian tribes. And it doesn't say the Congress has the authority to, to regulate all, all, all the affairs of Native people. It's just, just the commerce with Native people. And that's what, I mean, you know, Clarence Thomas is the only judge who's ever written an, an opinion that says, I don't see where this plenary powers doctrine comes from. Now, don't get me wrong. Clarence Thomas is, is an asshole and has, you know, has no love for native people. But uh, but he did. And he ruled he he was in the in the two against seven a minority that voted against this um, challenge of the uh, Indian Child Welfare Act. But but the whole point being was that this was about the courts once again affirming that Congress has the power to regulate the meets and bounds of tribal sovereignty. Uh, in fact, regulate all of the affairs of native people. And, and, it was, and it was defeated there. But the other part of the challenge that was never really addressed by the court because they said the plaintiffs didn't have standing to bring this argument had to do with race. Reducing mm-hmm. native people to a mere race of Americans, which is what you guys have been threatened with for decades. They said, look, if we don't make you an Indian tribe, we can no longer provide these services, uh, you know, to, to Hawaiian people because if we, if it, it, it likely violates the Equal Protection Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment, which is what these white folks were doing about challenging over adopting this child. 
mm-hmm. they, they know that if they can reduce us, and they, and they they can't, haven't been able to do it to you even without so-called Fed rec, but if they can reduce us to a mere inferior race of Americans, then they can try all that equal protection clause stuff on nonsense on us. And then try to, you know, do away with things like unceded lands, you know, any of the of the, art, the the land claims cases or any other case, claims that we're making about protecting our autonomy and our distinction. And of course, for you, protecting your your birthright and the, 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 the fight against the illegal occupation in the first place. Now, I wanted to mention all that because this idea and I, and I heard all the arguments that were made during the Obama administration about how you guys were in such jeopardy if you guys didn't become federally recognized as an Indian tribe because all of your programs would be defunded if somebody challenged it. And of course, it didn't happen. It, you didn't get Fed Rec at, in the Obama administration. And, you know, what's happened is the very Fed Rec advocates are the ones controlling all of the money that are, com- that are coming from these programs in the first place. So it's I, wanted racket- to throw, I wanted to pit, fill that in it's so people are it's racketeering and what's been happening to native children all these years is human trafficking. Well, and, and let's not mistake that, that, that Hawaii had residential schools too. I mean, yeah. oftentimes we, we always associate these residential schools with the U S and Canada mainland, but it was Hawaiian natives. It was Alaskan natives, it, you know, and of course throughout the world, the United States set the model for how to assimilate an indigenous people by using these residential schools. But Hawaii would, Hawaii had some notorious residential schools as well. My grandmother was taken at the age of two with four of her siblings, raised in Susanna Wesley Home, a residential school in Honolulu. Run by a church, I assume? Her, told told all her life that Hawaii was bad, really messed her up. She, it was awful for all of our children that went through that. You know, it's just when you think about what they did to our people through our children. Um, it's crazy. And um, yeah, it, it's just. Anyway, all of it is so it's it's so nuts that, you know, they have all these laws, but then they break all their laws or they find a gray area or obfuscate them a way to do this and do that. And well, getting and I, back- I, I, I argue that even the so-called treaties, you know, and that some of my people want to hang on every word of these white man documents. Mm-hmm. I believe every treaty was written as uh, uh, in the perpetuation of fraud. I don't think the United States ever had any intention of following their commitments made in those treaties. And then we also get the, well, it gets told to us, well, if it's not in the treaty, you don't have that right. Well, those treaties don't give us rights. They just affirm certain disputable rights that may have been, you know, a, a part of the, the conversation at the time, but our sovereignty was never given up in place of treaties. We aren't, we aren't defined by treaties. And, and uh, so all of these laws that, that they pass, they pass them with the assumption that they have the authority to, to make these rulings. So, I mean, whether they try to declare that we're U.S. citizens, whether we want to be or not. I mean, internationally, the idea of removing somebody's national character and imposing another nation's character upon them, that was called denationalization. Right. Before the word genocide was invented. Now they call that genocide. The idea of trying to create the conditions where people will cease to exist. And, that's, and that includes assimilation. It isn't just murdering us. It isn't just taking our children or, or you know, somehow reducing our childbirth rates by, 
by sterilization. It isn't just that. Assimilation is genocide because what you're trying to do, you're trying to phase out culture of a people so they no longer exist as a distinct people. And that's the definition of genocide. And and you guys are, are I mean, it's like we all have these timelines. You know, I live on, on the east part of uh, Turtle Island. So what we experienced was before Native people in the Midwest and in the West Coast. And then, and then I mean, we were already being significantly subjugated in many ways while the rest of the world was acknowledging and declaring your, your, your sovereignty. I mean, how many, how many embassies and, uh, and consulates existed throughout the world recognizing the Hawaiian kingdom? 197. Hawaiian kingdom was the first non-native country admitted to the family of nations. Not your, a, no, no, non-white. You said non-native. Yeah, white, Kalamai, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, um, they were the first, this, this was the first indigenous nation of indigenous people to be recognized throughout Europe and the, and the rest of the international community as, as a sovereign independent nation. As a state. As yeah, a, a nation state. Yeah, nation state. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Countries with treaties and recently our friend, we talked about this, our friend Leon Siu went to Switzerland and they actually opened up the archives and he got to view the original treaty between the Swiss and the Hawaiians and all these countries who stood by, let us be take off the list of countries to be decolonized and worked with our oppressor because everyone's benefiting, right, from the cash cow. We're just, you know, cash cows running around with coconut bras here spouting aloha. But well, I do let's want... Not, let's not I, forget what, what the United States was trying to do militarily and utilizing Hawaii as a base of operation, which is the very reason Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. I mean, this is what the rest of the world wishes that they could have done. They wish they could have had that kind of military presence in the South Pacific as, as Japan and, and, and other you know, uh, nations may have uh, been, been growing. So that's a big part of this issue. And this is what Americans always tell me. Oh, if we didn't overthrow your kingdom, somebody else would. Well, the Russians tried and the British tried. Um, our last princess was supposed to marry a Japanese prince. Looks like the rest of the world was kind of honoring the treaties they yeah. had. Yeah. Always only one country broke the treaty. But um, getting back to this little party at the palace. Okay, go ahead. Um. So you sent me some information on, you know, what they were doing there, talking about conservation, talking about, you know, helping our immersion schools and all of this. My my na'al went to a much darker place. Um, I'm going to make a prophecy right here. The reason why President Biden gave a half a million to restore our palace is he's planning to put the Bureau of Indian Affairs in that palace. Oh, I'm That's sure. Yeah. And came to the palace. So I started looking into who might be the guests since we're not able to get the guest list. So obviously we had Deb and her staffers there. Apparently Senator Brian Schatz, the spam ma'am, was there. Um. So, and he's on the Committee of Appropriations, okay? Then we had, um, these are the people I think were there. I don't have an actual guest list. I would, I would love to have been the fly on the wall. I, I imagine Oha Hulu Lindsay, I would imagine this was her brainchild. 
Because remember I said, how was this idea born to go have this event in our palace? You know, after we've received an apology, we've been promised reparations, blah, blah, blah. We thought we've put down FedRec, even though we know we haven't. Here they are. Deb sure looked like she was having a lot of fun in our Queen's Palace, okay? So I figure the Office of Hawaiian Affairs was there, all the trustees. Suzanne Case of the Department of Land and Natural Resources, because, of course, most of the land that's governed by them is our seized lands. Not seeded, seized, right? Right. Department of Ag and Forestry, one of the subcommissions, um, subcommittees, I figured they were there because we're talking about conservation, right? Debbie Stabenow. And it's interesting when you go and look at all these subcommittees, they're all the same guys in each committee. Just getting so, paid. Just getting paid for being on these committees. Yeah. So I also I'm gonna say this out loud. I'm wondering if Mililani Trask is involved in this. Mm. And so I'm putting it out there because I want to break this open. I want to understand what they were really doing in our palace, how much money they spent on it of our money and what their end game is. Of course, we know the end game. It's federal recognition. Um, I mean, were they giving notice to the portraits of our kings and queens? Well, and, and I want to I want to bring something you mentioned about whose money, because, look, every one of these events that are born out of somebody's brainchild in Washington, D.C., whether it's these tribal summits or, or any of these meetings, they cost us money. I mean, mm -hmm. nations you know across the continent usually are spending millions of dollars every year on mm -hmm. these lobbyists in Washington, D.C., so when they make one of these trips to Washington or if they host, you know, the president coming to someplace like Standing Rock or whatever else, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars at our expenses, you know, uh, to have those. So that's mm -hmm. it's a good point to raise. Well, who paid for this, you know, soiree at the, uh, you know, at the Hawaiian palace? Because I think it's a valid question. Who catered the food? Who pay for it? <laughs> how did all of this come? I mean, how and why the secrecy in Hawaii? You found it on the Department of Interior website, but there's no mention of it anywhere else. Well, and then it gets posted after the fact. It's not getting posted. It's not like right. they're promoting the, the idea of going there. Yeah, yeah. Oha posted a photo on Instagram, and you know what my response was, GTFO. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay. So I figure Patty Murray was there. Um, and interesting because the very next day, these all of these people that were in Honolulu flew to Hawaii Island where I am. And they were at University of Hawaii hobnobbing it with the academia. So, and Brian Schatz was there. I wasn't able to attend. I was spelunking that day, but um, very interesting stuff. To me, this was like, a signaling, a signaling um, that this is going to happen. Here's your new office, Deb Halland. Here's your staffer's new offices. I mean, why all of a sudden are they giving us half a million dollars to restore our palace where there's no crown sitting in there? 
what's the purpose, right? And so very interesting stuff. I'm hoping we can find out more about this and more about what they're up to. I knew exactly who to call when I was wondering about this. I'm like, I got to call John Kane. (laughs) (laughs) Anything going on with the DOI, he is going to know what's up. I wanted to mention that um, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure this happens in the United States on the continent on Turtle Island. But here in Hawaii, We'll be going through historic areas that are really beautiful. And you'll see a sign that says National Heritage Corridor. Have you heard of that? Yeah, that sounds familiar. These are all lands that have been seized by the Department of Interior. And that's, that is the National Heritage Corridors are all the Department of Interior. So when you see that sign and they're claiming conservation and you can't go in there or whatever... What they're really saying is, this is a future military outpost. You know what I'm saying? So very very interesting, convoluted stuff. And I've really enjoyed speaking with you about this. I do Um, want to say that noticeably absent from anything that I could find on the Department of Interior website was no mention of the homeless problem, you know, that that has been caused by tourism and and the military. No mention of Mauna Kea. No mention of of the environmental degradation caused by the military and the in the tourism industry, but instead, we're, there there was pictures of birds that you know that they think need to be uh, protected, but they don't say protected from what. I mean, so I you know I have a tendency to look at these things and and read what's not there, not just what is there. And there was a lot absent. Um, you know, I think if I were to ask um, any of the people that I know from Hawaii. Um, what are the top 10 issues? Um, I don't know that they addressed any of them in with this visit by Deb Hallen. Today here in Hawaii, for a young person to rent a room, you're looking at at least $1,200, a room in a house. Um, most of our homeless population that are Hawaiian, they're senior citizens that built the visitor industry that can't survive on their social security, you know, they can't live. You see, uh, I mean, it's really gotten bad where you see whole families on the street and people just stepping over them and the visitor industry keeps bringing more people over here. We really, you know, we're a very tiny, um, very delicate ecosystem here. And, um, yeah, so it is interesting how they posted pictures of birds because most of the birds have been killed already from GMO poisoning and crop dusting for sugarcane back in the day. Well, and, so, and, and the invasive species that you talked about. And those inv- right. invasive species are plants, but they're also animals, they're crops, and of course, they are the two-legged uh, invasive species as well. killed a lot of birds. So I would say that Here in Hawaii, you know, like your people, we are facing poverty, um, sickness. Our people get sick more than anybody else. I think on a national level, even there's some statistics that show that our people are the worst on the on the health scale. We're at the bottom of the barrel for education. Uh, We have huge homeless population and Hawaiians like myself aren't really Hawaiian because I'm 49% and under. And it's just like this, you know, 
just this horrible no man's land of how to be, you know, I, I feel like since the overthrow, the one purpose of the oppressor has been to make it as hard and miserable to be a Hawaiian in Hawaii as they could possibly make it. Just uh, eliminate us. us. Uh, you know, when, when it was no longer fashionable to mm -hmm. kill, to do mass killings of native people on the continent, they came up with creative ways. And, and that's what the residential schools were. That's what, you know, the way they created the um, abject poverty that most native people had to live under on the so-called reservation systems. They, they made it almost impossible to have a decent quality of life uh, right. on the few remaining pieces of land that we were able to hang on to. And then mm -hmm. they say, see, the reservation system doesn't work. I mean, they, they, come, they make all these self-fulfilling prophecies about our demise by making it more and more difficult for us to live. And, you know, and that's why, you know, I, I, I have to follow what's happening with Hawaii. And of course I'd be remiss that I know we've been on here for a while. So, but I at least want to mention that there are still people doing solid work. You mentioned Leon making, doing solid work, advancing not only the, the history uh, of the international recognition of the Hawaiian kingdom, but the fact that there is no legal basis to say that the Hawaiian kingdom has, you know, it doesn't still exist. I mean, for all of those nations that recognize the kingdom of Hawaii, they have very few of them actually have a uh, any kind of documentation that says we no longer recognize them. So it's like this open ended question. Like, what? Well, so what happened? You recognized them in, in, in 1848 or in 1850. But then what? You know, the, what, I mean, other than the obvious, as far as what the United States did, uh, where does that leave the Hawaiian kingdom? with all of these, you know, almost 200 other nations. Well, I wanted to close our conversation by mentioning the Hawaiian kingdom and the monarchy. We do have some hope. And it's an interesting paradigm how people view the Hawaiian monarchy. Um, when Hawaii became a monarchy, our kings and queens um, really were innovative. In a hundred years, they caught up to speed and were recognized by, you know, the family of nations as, yeah, this is an actual kingdom, right? Whatever these European countries were, whatever their um, prerequisites to be recognized. They, they acknowledged the level of sophistication that right, the Hawaiian right. people had developed in their monarchy. No, and, and, and that's, there's no question about that. So we do have hope for our future, and here's why. The Hawaiian kingdom is illegally occupied, so that kingdom is in abeyance right now. And we do have a royal family, and we do have a successor to the throne. And um, it's we, as Native people, are always taught to hate our our own people, to, to hate our own history, to have discussed about it and so we've been um according to western history our monarchs were like these slovenly well they portrayed our queen as a monkey in yeah. the washington post right so but i want to talk a few a little bit about the hawaiian kingdom and and what happened with our monarch our monarchy um that makes our monarchy different from any other country in the world um Kamehameha III 
invested in invested in us inherent sovereignty. He made every single Hawaiian kingdom subject a sovereign, which meant you could act in the stead of the sovereign and you had complete sovereignty as a Hawaiian kingdom subject. That's never been done in any country. Let's let's parse that out a little bit, because for the most part, most monarchies, as they are known throughout the world, mm-hmm. um, is, 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 until they developed parliaments and stuff like that, um, they were de- considered the sovereign. And the word sovereignty actually comes from this notion that that's that God had bestowed certain families in Europe right. with the, the power to rule over other people, that it was ordained by the by the popes and the Vatican and all that other stuff. That's not how the Hawaiian kingdom comes to be. And so when right. when Kamehameha III basically says the sovereignty of this kingdom is vested in each individual, that is a mm-hmm. huge departure from any other monarchy throughout the world. And I think and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned this because it is it, most people don't understand even the United States, which claims to be a republic rather than a democracy, by the way. The definition of a republic is that the birthright is that that the that, that the sovereignty is supposed to be vested in the individual. Now, mm-hmm. it certainly isn't acting that way lately. And but the, but the fact that you have a, a specific uh, proclamation by a king that says the sovereignty of the Hawaiian kingdom is vested in the individuals is um, is important because that, that means it's a birthright. It doesn't mean the individuals who are alive at that time. It means that every person born under Hawaiian rule, under under the Hawaiian uh, subjects to the Hawaiian kingdom, are are born with with that sovereignty vested in them. And I, that's a that's an important distinction. Um, and so here we find our today's today we find ourselves in the modern world, and I often hear Hawaiians saying two things. One of them is always. Oh, our ali'i sold us down the river. And I perk up and I say, well, which ali'i and which river? And you can very quickly tell that people are parroting Western history and they, they don't really know what they're talking about. The second thing is that the monarchy is bad, you know, and that's just not true. Our monarchs did the best they could and we're so innovative and sophisticated, and yet look who they were dealing with, right? So I want to leave anyone who's interested. I want I want to explain why we need the crown in Hawaii. Because our kingdom is in abeyance, we need that person to get the crown on her head and take back control of her kingdom. That's the only legal mechanism to restore our sovereignty. Everything everyone else is doing, not a legal mechanism. Hawaii was and still is a kingdom. And we have a a successor to the crown. And I just want to encourage people, you know, when I started researching, I was very much against the kingdom my viewpoint way back in the day was like, wow, our, our elite really did sell us out. Da, 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 da. They follow I've, British rule and all that stuff. Yeah, that's that's the way the, the story goes, I, right? I look to the light that, you know, if we still had our sovereignty, could you imagine if Hawaiians controlled the ports here? I mean, what our lives might be 
like today under Hawaiian kingdom rule, given the fact that at the time of the Hawaiian kingdom, every Hawaiian had a place to live, food to eat, water to drink, and, you know, healthcare. So, <laughs> healthcare, free health care, which was later stolen, all the money left by the Democratic Party, all of our trusts for our free health care. So the legal mechanism in international law is the rest restoration of the Hawaiian kingdom through the crown. And I want to recommend if people are interested in this to visit a website called crownofhawaii.com. Very simple. And you can read all about the rules of succession, why you can have royal blood, but you're not the guy. What makes you the guy? Yeah, what, what is what is the, the order of succession in terms of leadership? Sure. Because right now we got a lot of big men running around and I have an issue with the men because I'm still driving by families living in vans, women and their children tucked in the forest here in the cold. It's cold up here. I have an issue with our men that you guys have been running the show and controlling the narrative all this time. We're worse off than ever. What have you done for us lately, except you guys are getting paid? You're getting all this funding to do your little get-togethers and your little demonstrations and pounding, oh, we're sovereign, we're sovereign. But nobody has come up with a remedy for our situation. The remedy is simple and in plain sight. We need our crown. We need our crown to take the Hawaiian kingdom out of abeyance. Well, it, it seems to me that restoration of the monarchy mm -hmm. in a legal succession is the only legitimate path other than this idea of trying to get the entire world to recognize a brand new Hawaiian nation, which is a much bigger hill to climb. And in fact, because of the, the power that the United States has and everything from world courts, which they won't participate in, but they will still will, uh, you know, will utilize or the UN, um, the only the only way is to get all of those nations to to once again recognize the uh, restoration of the Hawaiian monarchy and the Hawaiian. It works. And I always tell these guys that are running around screaming Hawaiian kingdom and they want people to vote the sovereign in. I'm like, what are you going to do? Hold an election for king or queen every four years? Why are you mo trying to model us after a failed system? Yeah. Well, and there's no, I mean, there's no doubt that the United States um, system of what they call democracy is a, is, a, is a sham. So, no, I think you guys are on the right path. You, you, look, I'll tell you I, why. I'll tell you why Deb Helen was in our palace. They know we have a successor to the crown. It was a clear signal of their intent here in Hawaii. So if you're a Hawaiian and watching and listening to this, please share this video. And again, check out crownofhawaii.com. My YouTube video is called Where's Your Aloha? My um, YouTube website or whatever you call it, my YouTube site. You can check out some of my videos there. I've been doing a series on a book called Our Little Book of Sovereignty, Our Rights to Self-Determination by Ann Keala Kelly. And... It's time for us to stop being parrots 
and stop just mouthing off and talking shit and, and repeating lies. It's time to, you guys want to be sovereign? Let's do it. It's right there, right in front of you in plain sight. It's the law. It's what we got to do to get our kingdom back. So, well, and, and, you, and again, when you talk there, about things like unseated lands, I mean, the reason they're unseated is because of the Hawaiian kingdom. So I don't think I, I it, this isn't rocket science. So I, I'm with you on this. Look, Carolina, I want to thank you so much for, for giving me giving me your time, joining me. I'll have you back soon. I promise we're going to follow everything that we can in terms of what not only the Interior Department, but uh, what this White House is doing as it relates to uh, to Hawaii and this this BS Fed wreck uh, stuff that began you know, in a way, and uh, uh, Obama and everybody else. Well, we'll we're going to follow this stuff and and keep yeah, the drum on it. And right. if you're out there watching and listening, and you know anything about anything, I want to know who catered their food. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's got any information on on how that whole thing came to be, and I think that you're you're on the money with understanding that. You know, look, if you're concerned about the monarchy being restored. You know, what greater signal can you make than to go in there and have uh, and occupy the palace uh, with your interior department? Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. I think there's there's signaling in all of that. So, again, thanks for joining me. I'll have you back soon. Um, it's always a pleasure. And uh, I'm, I'm making it out there this year. I'm making it out there. and You and I are going to hang. I'm going to hang out. We're going to take you and your family and show you all of uh, all of our beautiful things and surround you with Hawaiians. None of the. You know, the luau's and all of that. No uh, coconut bras. No coconut bras. No coconut bras. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Much love. Thank Take you. Take care. No Bye way. now.